Hello and welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Borja Lichua and I am joined on this show once again by my old friend and partner, Alex Nakamura. Alex, it's good to see you. I actually have not seen you in what feels like the entirety of this year so far. It has been a while. It has been a while. Uh, it's good to see you too. I'm looking forward to this show. I am too. Uh, I know you and I have talked a lot about doing an episode about this. Um, and uh, before we get into this uh, show, into this episode and the topic, we actually wanted to welcome uh, an old friend of the show, someone who's actually been on one of the episodes uh, um, maybe a year or so back, um, Colin Landforce. Uh, Colin, it's good to see you again. Welcome, uh, welcome back. Uh, thanks for j- jumping on and having a chat with us about the topic we're about to reveal. Likewise, guys. Awesome. Um, uh, Alex, I saw that you're holding uh, con- some conversation juice. Mind expanding on that? Yeah. We have the jo- Dolcetto d'Alba today. Uh, lovely little Italian number. Uh, 2021, I think. Uh, it's delicious. Yeah. Highly recommend. $20 in uh, new seasons. Amazing. Well, cheers to you. I'm uh, drinking some uh, some Whitford. And uh, Colin, I think you were downing some water in Cheetos before. Yep, Goldfish. Exactly. Goldfish. Amazing. All right. Well, listen, let's get into uh, this episode. Um, uh, we are we're all excited about this. Uh, the show, the topic for the show today is um, Formula One uh, and not just Formula One, which is um, in and of itself probably quite the topic to get into. But the impact of the Netflix show Drive to Survive on the popularity of Formula One, both here in the U.S. and globally. Um before we get into this uh, in earnest, uh, a little bit of a background. Um, F1 for eons was the sport for the rich. It was um, really a European slash Asian Middle East kind of focused sport with very little presence and interest in the U.S. Um, it's had its founder, its kind of godlike figure for, for, for decades was uh, a man by the name of Bernie Eccleston. Um, very colorful, controversial, outspoken figure. Um, and he sold the company, uh, the holding company for Formula One, uh, to a media, U.S. media conglomerate called Liberty. Um, Alex, I believe it was back in like 2014, 2015? Seven, 17, 17? All right. Yeah. So a few years ago. Um, Liberty, they own... Uh, brands like Sirius FM, they uh, own uh, Atlanta Braves, they used to dabble in other things like, um, I believe, Discovery even back in the day. And Ticketmaster, Live Nation, Live Nation, I think. Live Nation also, yeah. And so um, they were um, really taking over the sport in its uh, trough, like the sport has uh, seen its fortunes wane uh, over over the years. Its roster of high profile transcendent stars like Michael Schumacher, uh, Ayrton Senna has not really been refreshed, um, and its new stars have remained largely un, uh, unknown to the wider masses. And this was especially true in America, where the sport lagged behind all the major pro leagues as well as NASCAR. Um, so, as Liberty took over, um, they really wanted to focus their uh, attention on content and, and to make this uh, sport into much more of a content play than it had traditionally been. Um, the play for content was a risky strategy, but it seems like it has paid off. Um, ESPN ratings have doubled uh, since the show Drive to Survive came out. Um, 
And uh, in 2022, 400,000 fans uh, attended the race weekend in Austin, which is one of the three uh, Formula One races in the U.S. Uh, and uh, it was the largest crowd in the history of the sport. Think about that. Um, so That's an outrageous amount of people. That is half a million people almost uh, going to the outskirts of a fairly small town in Austin and uh, spending a weekend there. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty nuts. Um, since Austin, two more uh, races have been um, launched in the U S one was in Miami. Um, and then there is one this year that's going to be happening in Vegas, which is just an outrageously sounding event. Um, tickets have been sold out for months. And I was actually in Vegas a few, a couple, like a month ago, um, and was staying at one of the resorts um, that's uh, going to be part of the whole like brouhaha. And on their website, they have packages listed for, you know, tickets plus like a suite and whatever. They started $20,000. <laughs> and then just go up. So yeah, it has, uh, it has really seemed to benefit from uh, the impact of the show. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to discuss. What's uh, what's been the impact? How we're thinking about the the sport? How we're thinking about shows like this having an impact on uh, on sports like Formula One, um, as well as others like golf and tennis. Um, and so before we get into this, really just let's establish our credentials um, as it comes to the sport. I personally, while aware of Formula One, have not really been um, much of a fan until this show came out. And I remember the first time I turned, um, I, I turned it on, uh, I was just blown away. It just, it, it just sucked me right in. And, uh, the drama of it, uh, of the sport, however manufactured or not has, has really kept me engaged with, um, with it. So, uh, I'm a noob, uh, but I'm really enjoying the ride. Um, Alex, I believe your history with the sport goes a little while back. Yeah, I, I've been watching it since I think 2006, 2007, around that time. Uh, I was aware of it before in the late 90s and I would just watch whatever scraps I could get on Hong Kong TV and then didn't really do much in the early 2000s and then just became very much aware of it in 2006, 2007 and just got hooked on all of it. And then I've been watching it ever since. So the changes from the engines, changes in the... Um, in, you know, all of the tech that they brought in, uh, hybrid engines, uh, double, double diffusers, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so I've been really enjoying the ride and the influx of people to now talk to, uh, about formula one has been great. Uh, Colin, he added me to a group chat a couple of years ago and every weekend between about six and nine, it blows up, uh, which is, which is great fun. Colin, how about but you? Colin, what's your, what's your uh, experience? I mean, in, in terms of credentials, uh, so car guy through high school and college. I went to an IndyCar race at, at Portland International Raceway in that same same period. And then um, found, found Drive to Survive in like 2018, 19, mm -hmm. whenever it came out, I guess. Uh, 19, I guess it would have been, right before COVID. And uh, have since... Uh, I read a Adrian Newey's book, who's like the chief designer for Red Bull and McLaren previously. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm a super fan. I, I'm a sports guy. I don't really follow any sports anymore. I follow F1 
Um, and I conveniently have a, a three and a half year old who uh, I will be awake with on Saturday and Sunday mornings very early, whether I'm watching F1 or not. So we might as well be watching F1. Um, Colin, as someone who has now become an avid watcher of Formula One uh, kids or not included, um, the 6 a.m. races, quality, even practice, uh, how important was Drive to Survive to that introduction? And had it not existed, do you think you would you would be a, a Red Bull fan? Uh, well, I'm not a Red Bull fan. Oh, um, you just changed already. Not a Red Bull fan. We'll cover that more later. I think what Liberty Media did with F1 is like one of the greatest content marketing plays of all time. Um, and I think that there, there's a lot to it. It's pretty masterful. But the core of it is they bought a brand and then they made content. Um, I think they, I, I don't know the nature of their deal with Netflix, but I would imagine they not only, uh, and, and the, the, the production company, they not only made the content, but I'm pretty sure they're getting paid for making the content by Netflix um, in, in terms of licensing there. And I think it's the only reason that F1 has become as big as it, as it is today, or it's certainly the, uh, the catalyst. You know, I, um, I talked to, I talked to a friend of mine who goes to Austin, uh, for the race every year. And he has, you know, he has, he's been a, fa a fan since before this, but he says that the, the, not the crowds have just expanded. The affinity for the teams also has grown and for the drivers. Whereas I feel like before, even just in the U S maybe it was, more of maybe seen more as like just a race and now there is just a deeper understanding of who the drivers are what their personalities i feel like the even over and above exp explaining the rules to someone like me just getting an appreciation for the dynamics that happen inside the inside the garages uh, even between the drivers uh, on the same team i never like you said colin you're a you're a sports guy and my understanding of team sports has always been you're, when you're on the same team, it's not the name on the back of the jersey. It's the logo on the front. That's not the case with Formula One, man. Like they right. are ready yeah, to yeah. stab each other, not even in the back, in the front. Yeah, I think this, the sportsmanship both among among teams and then amongst themselves is like as interesting as it gets in terms of professional sports leagues because so many of them grew up together. Um, grew up competing together. And then there is like this omnipresent, uh, I hate you, but we're buddies. Um, like at any moment it goes either way. And I think that's kind of the product of like immense respect for each other. And also not a single one of them, like every one of those guys would, would probably kill in order to, to beat the, the one next to him at a given moment. Alex, as someone who's uh, actually been into this for a while, did you place an emphasis on, uh, things other than race day uh, in your sort of fandom or fellowship? Uh, yeah. I mean like free, free practice was let, I think it was less televised as well. Um, and then sky picked it up from BBC in I don't know, early 2010s. And then they started to do a similar kind of broadcast um, where it would be race weekend. So you would have free practice on Friday, then quality would be, as important as the race itself and they would make a big broadcast spectacle out of that and then it was the you know the race and the and the and the lead up to the race um who's doing what what kind of um you know bits and pieces did they bring what are the specifics on the cars right before the race 
um, who's hiding what. And yeah, the whole weekend was was Formula One. Like throughout the season, it's what time is the race and when, you know, what are we, what are we going to do for it? More difficult over here with the time zones because they all start at like five, six in the morning. Um, some, unless uh, other than Austin, um, which starts at a more reasonable hour. But yeah, it's, it's um, the whole weekend becomes about, about the race. I think something, something you said, you know, every time I've talked with Alex about Drive to Survive, he's pointed out like, they're like all reality TV or, or docu-series or drama docu-series, whatever the, the, the name for it is. Uh, a lot of the story storyline that's going on is, is made up, or maybe the storyline is generally on, but the drama and conflict is, is made up. And I know with, in the case of Drive to Survive, you know, they, they have so much footage of so many races that they're, they're literally like splicing, yeah. splicing footage in from another race in order to add more drama to, you know, some sort of conflict that did happen in this race. And that's obviously what's captured a lot of people's attention. Um, for me, it was more so just like learning about the sport and learning about the complexities and uh, everything that layers into strategy. So the story part in the drama makes it fun to watch. Uh, it's probably why my my wife also enjoyed it. She otherwise wouldn't. But for me, it's been mostly just un, like appreciating the complexity of the machines and then the strategy that goes into uh, uh, the winning machine, I guess. Yeah, I um, I have to say, like, I've. It's interesting how little of the race is actually featured in the in in each episode. I mean, there are obviously moments, and especially if there is something. Um, crazy going on um but it's uh mostly things that happen outside outside of the race uh that uh that they focus on and i read as well that a lot of the drama is um if not manufactured then somewhat artificial um but at the same time i've got to imagine that the competitive spirit even between team team principles i mean um christian horner of red bull and total wolf of uh, mercedes mm-hmm. i'm it's probably real like that the dynamic they show and sure they might amp it up uh, at moments yeah. but it feels to me as real that as, as, as co- competitive spirits can get yeah i think i, I agree i think they do it i didn't do a really good job of of creating a series of content that you want to watch there was a there was a really good example of i think they took like the race in in spain overlaid a uh, radio message between the McLaren drivers from a different race and then overlaid a uh, reaction from the McLaren pits from Singapore and had them as like the the two McLaren drivers almost hit. They put this radio message on that was like, what the, what the hell is he doing? He almost hit me. And then the, the other, the pits were all like, what? Oh my God. And it's like, none of that's not, none of that happened, but it makes a great story. And I guess, you know, you're a production company making a series you want people to watch that is funded in part by the sport to get them in. And you can't just tell it how it is because, you know, you can't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And they have to manufacture these things to make them slightly more dramatic. Because before that, yeah, there were definitely bust-ups, you know, Schumacher storming down the pit um, to go try and beat someone up after he got, like, run off the track. The... Alonzo and Hamilton um, hatred from from 2007. Um, yeah, those those are real, but they had to manufacture something because that happens over years, and they need to make something that happens over a, over a season. So, yeah, you know, I'm not going to hold it against them, but 
what, what Colin was saying about the, the technical uh, aspect of everything, that is incredibly complicated for just someone to come in and watch a race and be like, they're going around and around in circles, cool, whatever. Why are they stopping? What does it matter? Why are they twiddling with the front of the car? But as soon as you understand pitch strategy, um, you know the undercut, DRS, DRS zones, curves, all that kind of stuff, it becomes way more interesting because then you know it's kind of like watching baseball. If you know why they're trying to force someone onto base to get bases loaded with a with a batter that's coming up that's not a good batter, you're more likely to get, get them out. When you realize that, it's not just like someone throwing a ball at a at a person. It's way more nuanced than that. And I think Drive to Survive did an incredible job of bringing people along the journey. And I think Liberty Media especially on the website as well, they have incredible amount of content that is designed for people to be like, oh, what is this? And kind of going like a wiki wormhole mm-hmm. of I, le- I learn about this, I learn about that, I learn about this. So like they're all gearing this up for a brand that is has walls put up around it where they're incredibly difficult to get in and just being like, hey, here's how it all works. This is what you need to know in order to enjoy this thing. And I think... Bernie Eccleston was great at making money for the teams. I think Liberty Mutual, Liberty Mutual, Liberty Media are great at actually bringing the fans into the experience. The announcers also do an excellent job of uh, uh, of just bringing little bits of of background information into the broadcast, mm-hmm. where it's like I can, as a uh, as an F one fan, it's not annoying to hear the way that they will just interject. Like, and this is what DRS is. Um, right. And, and I would imagine that's very intentional knowing that every single race, they have probably hundreds of thousands of, of new people who, who've gotten a taste, but, but don't know all of these things. And I just want to throw out there the moment that I realized what DRS was, was like my, Oh my God moment for <laughs> F1. I, I think I, I was watching drive to survive the guy, one of the broadcasters that was prominently interviewed in it explained what it was. And I was like, did I just, did I just catch that right? And I Googled it and I Googled it. And what, as I realized the DRS was a button that you hit that, that adjusted the wing to lift the car off the ground so that it could go faster. I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And then you add curves to that. It's excellent. You know, I, I, uh, don't remember the first season in its details when they probably go and explain all the rules and how we got to understand them, just like how you explained. Um, but I did watch, um, I did start watching a little bit of the sister show full swing that's, uh, um, focused on golf. And, uh, what I appreciated kind of what caught my attention was how they deconstruct the sport. Uh, and it's so geared towards an entry level consumer, someone who is, um, unaware of the rules, maybe the rules are a barrier and people get bored really quickly. But they find they found this formula where announcers, commentators, um, people you can sort of look up to uh, in a very engaging way, bring you into the sport. They break down the rules. They don't make you feel stupid for uh, not knowing what DRS is or what a birdie versus a bogey in golf is. And um, and it's all kind of wrapped in this beautiful wrapper where, uh, you know, you just you don't feel like you're being talked down to you're made you're being made part of the whole process. And I think that's the genius of uh, of this format and uh, what box to box, the the production company behind this has done. Um, it it 
it lets you into the sport and then and then you're off to, and then you forget that you didn't know this you forget that you know what drs was or 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 the scoring rules in golf and i think that's um that's pretty amazing um i wanted to kind of take this one step further and talk a little bit about both the brands um of the 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 brands of each team and the brands of the races because i feel like unlike in other sports um each race has a distinct identity and each team has a distinct identity um it's for me as i as i've watched this a few of these identities have emerged and i think they emerged with the team principals more who are basically like the managers um and the front, the, the the faces of the the non-driving faces of the of the teams, but you know there is the Mercedes team, which is uh, you know one of the most kind of recently most storied teams. Lewis Hamilton as the driver has won more world championships than or titles than um, other drivers, um, and it's being headed by this guy, this German guy, Toto Wolf, um, who is I think the perfect representation for like the structure and rigidity and kind of call to order that Mercedes should be known for. And like that's there's such a perfect alignment between the brand and the and the person. Then there is the kind of the more freewheeling a Red Bull principle, right? He um uh this uh guy Christian Horner, an Englishman, who is um who's got like um a, a lot of chippiness to him. He is smart, he is um like a good looking guy. He, you know, he's married to, um, is it one of the Spice Girls, Alex, that he's married to? One of the Spice, Spice Girls. Girl. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. travels by helicopter, which is like nuts. Um, you know, so he's like super posh. And at the same time, he's just, you know, he, he's just completely embraced this like underdog role in all the previous seasons un until Red Bull became kind of the, the leading team. Um, and then the last one that actually made me think of you, Alex, you're this, you're the spitting image of the Red Bull principle uh, of the Ferrari principle. Um. X, he's gone. Um, he's gone. Benatti. Benatti. Yeah, got, I was. <laughs> yeah, he got he got sacked. They canned him finally. I think so. Was that before this season? Yeah. Or after this weekend? After they they did it again. No, I think he in, Dece um, in December um, is what I is, is what I read. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, he's out. Uh, who's in now? Berlin. Uh, I should know this. It's uh, uh, Fred Vasseur. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah the Alfa Romeo boss. But anyway, what uh, the the point here is that I feel like the um, the leading teams have these very distinct personalities, and uh, they almost sort of establish the brand and the identity of uh, of what the team is. And so when fans get get into the sport. Um, is that a way to find your affinity towards which team you support because of like sort of what image they project or are there other factors that um, draw you guys in um, to support, um, you know, this team or that team? What, what are your thoughts on that? Is it just success? Is, is it just success or is it, uh, is it, is, is there, are there other things that, um, that you find kind of as draws into your fandom? I I'm kind of an underdog guy, and when Checo, uh, God, what I don't, I can't remember what season it was. Checo Force India, he went from last to winning the race. I've been a Sergio Perez guy since then, um, and for me, I almost like, I, I like Red Bull, uh, but I don't like liking the front runner, so I don't, I don't like Red Bull, um, and it <laughs> and it makes it hard to to root for Checo. Just like every every, he's gonna get second probably every time. Yeah. Um, I root for him if he's got a shot at first, but, um, 
I'm not sure what it is. I think I'm more like driver oriented. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate like some of the aesthetics and some of the, um, some of the, the, I don't know if you can call them like core characteristics of some of these teams. Like I, th- I think it's hard not to think Mercedes is cool as fuck if, if we say that on here. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan because I think it's just an easy move. Um, I'm not like answering your question at like a meaningful level. If you're, if you're going like, for the underdog, you should be going for um for Haas. I feel like I, uh, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, well, like anyway, so yeah. The the principal is is uh, is Gunther yeah. still at Haas? Yeah. yeah, he's still there. What a what a clown! I love <laughs> what a survivor, dude. huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> I like K Mag too. I always root for K Mag. Um, I think I think this year I'm going to be pretty big on uh, Alonzo. Um. I, I've like followed him a little bit outside of F1. I'm familiar with what he's done in other motorsports, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it's pretty cool that he's back and getting in the mix. And he's excited about the car he's driving. It, it'll be interesting. To see well, he got podium this weekend, um, and yeah. he was first in free practice. And he's been, you know, he went from uh, winning the double, winning a double in 0506, moved to McLaren 07 did a stint at Ferrari where he was basically taking a car that was middle of the pack to the front lost in the last, he lost out on the title in, in 11, I think, or something to, uh, cause he got stuck behind, uh, someone for the whole race in Abu Dhabi couldn't get past them because of the pit strategy. And then he just went to McLaren for four years where they were absolute crap and then went back to Alpine Alpine and he's just like had terrible luck. And now he's actually got a car that is near the front. And I no one saw, I mean, maybe more smart people saw this, but I didn't think Aston Martin would be anywhere near the front, let alone on the podium in the first race. But yeah, he's he's taken that car and done something with it. And you hear him over the radio at the end of that race being like, this is a beautiful car. I'm, I'm excited yeah. to watch him this, this season. Uh, I think, Gorge Dons, your question, I think Formula One is one of the trickiest things to align yourself with because unlike because like like tennis there are there is people that you align yourself with whether it's their drive style their personality you know their their will to win and kill other people on not you know to get there and then there are teams that you align yourself with but if someone goes from one team to another team it's you know it's not like a, a team sport like football right nfl or or you know, you're the rest of the world football, um, where you support the the team, and if the players change, but you know you have a manager that is there or a or a technical director that's there that's keeping the spirit of what you, the essence of the football club. So you have this like affinity to drivers who move, and you have affinity to to teams that stay the same largely. It's like you know, with Conan and Checo, he was a Checo fan from Force India, but Force India now is you know, became defunct and changed. So like where do your alliances play? I think there's very much is a, a, a point of the the team principles, but also the drivers and also like the sport itself. And it's one of those, you can watch it with no real affinity to any of the, of the teams or the drivers and still have a great time watching it because of, of what the, the sport is and the, the technical excellence of it. Yeah. I, um, when I started watching the guy that I really just got a, I mean, I had a blast watching him on the show was Daniel Ricardo, but that yeah. guy has changed. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he's raced for like three teams during the course of the five seasons of this show, right? Like yeah. you, 
you're either a Ricardo fan, which is hard, or you're a fan of the teams and then you but I guess that's not a thing. You know, even though there are teams, you're probably a fan of the driver. You just follow them from team to team. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, he is he is not on well, he's he's the backup for Red Bull this year. So yep. from I haven't watched the new season of Drive to Survive. From what I've heard, he's the absolute star of it. And he's not racing, which is like pretty awkward for the sport. And I'll, I'll be curious to see uh, if anything around that happens next year. Just knowing that his, I think his celebrity, which has been as probably as big as it gets besides Lewis and Max in, in F1, is like really blossoming. Um, and as it as it increases in popularity this year, it's going to continue to do so. And he's he's not on the track. So I think what you mentioned is really interesting. He is benefiting from this show tremendously because his personality is just so like made for TV. I think that um, Lewis Hamilton just like, I, I think he was less present in the initial seasons and then he sort of became more of a permanent feature. The interesting one is Max. Well, they, they won in it. Ferrari and Mercedes did not agree to be in the, in the first few seasons. So that's why he wasn't there. Interesting. I did not know that, but Max Verstappen uh, did not want to be because he had a personal sort of beef with the way the show was being produced, and he claimed that it was over, kind of over montaged, and um, you know drama was happening. So he skipped a few uh, a few of the seasons, and he came back. So I'm wondering, have they all found the just in- inevitable? You know, you you are either in it, and your popularity rises, and you make uh, you make more money ultimately, or um, you know, or or what is it? Um, I think it's, I think that's what you said. I think it's, you, you're either famous enough outside of it. Like Lewis is probably the only person that sort of transcends formula one at the moment because he's put a lot of effort into being not just a formula one driver. So he's, you know, big into fashion. He's working with, um, Ralph Lauren. He goes to fashion week. He, you know, he appears in other things. Um, but everyone else, I think they need to benefit from this. Otherwise they'll get left behind. Cause if everyone, you know, is a Daniel Ricciardo fan instead of a, a Checo fan or a you know Charles Leclerc fan. It's only it's it's a matter of time before some of the one of the teams goes. Well, he's super famous. Let's get him in because it'll boost our brand. Yeah. We'll have a bunch of people come in and buy our merch and want to be part of our team. And you know, it's 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 a very important thing for for struggling brands, probably teams near the bottom of the of the grids like Williams, which, you know, historically one of the most successful teams and then just couldn't get anywhere. Um, but still bring in tens of millions, hundreds of millions in, in sponsorship because of their, their heritage. I want to actually get back to the, to that point and, uh, get back to our friend Gunter, uh, in a, in a little bit, um, because I feel like that's something that he struggles continuously with. And, and it's an important thing for us to discuss, but, uh, focusing on the races for a second, um, how do you guys see the races uh, be differentiated from one another? You know, there's obviously there are some storied racetracks like Silverstone um, and most most of the European um, tracks have some sort of legacy and history. There's a whole bunch of new ones in the Middle East um, and there is a lot of controversy. There's been controversy over um, kind of a very tight coupling between Formula One and some of the regimes, obviously, that are considered to be, you know, less than savory. Um, and then there's well, a po- sports washing. Yep. And then there is, you know, there is a push in, into the into the U.S. So how do you guys see the, you know, are are there differences, market differences between the races and what they mean? I mean, I think of Monaco and I feel like that race is like people associate 
Formula One with the Open Street Race of Monaco. You know, like if you've never if you've never seen it, you've seen that. But besides yeah. that, like how do you how do you how you how do you think about um, the brand of each of the marquee race races? I don't think I don't think there for for me I don't think about the races as a as a brand. I think you know the races that are going to be good. You know the races are going to be bad because of the tracks. So I I think of them as like you know Monaco is a very prestigious race and winning that is you know the top of every Formula One driver's you know every person who's into motorsport is their top of their wish list. But as a as a race, it's very difficult to overtake because the cars are so big now. Uh, if you get pole in Monaco, you're basically going to win because no one's going to get past you. Unless you know you crash, but as a fan, so but as a, as a fan to you, what is you know? I mean, to me, Monaco is um, you know it's a lifestyle type of thing. Like it's a it's a boat party. It's like a it's a rich people's thing, right? Like I feel like from what from what I'm right. picking up, yeah. like there those are the distinctions that people see in. Um, anyway, Colin, do you have any thoughts on this too? No, I I mean I'm I have a much more like probably simple outlook on it just because I'm I'm new to the sport. I think a lot of the tracks that are a lot of the circuits that uh, that have history surrounding them, like I think Bahrain's pretty incredible, right? You're like racing by 12th century castles, um, and uh, and then Monaco is like something out of a video game. Uh, it's it's not not much of a race to watch in most cases, but um, but I I think I, I get what you're what you're poking at. And I think a lot of what's happening in the U S especially when you have uh, a circuit in Miami and, and one in Vegas, like it really pushes that towards like that. It is like a status event, um, that conveniently has four days of competition, um, to wrap around it and capitalize on, um, which I think is, is obviously at the core of, of Liberty, Liberty media's entire push here. Um, I am only being three seasons into it and not being, super studi- studious of it like i don't know off the top of the head off the top of my head which which uh, circuits are boring to watch um uh but i think that a lot of the um there's there's a massive culture around it besides just showing up for the race that's for sure and i, th- I think you see liberty leaning into that when they they're interviewing celebrities on like like down in the mm-hmm. paddock before the race um, a, a close friend of mine is actually a director of VIP for the Vegas race, right? So he he is he's doing everything around all of the VIP, all the celebrity stuff that's happening for that race, and uh, uh, it, it's a that, like Vegas is the epitome, uh, the pinnacle of of that like lifestyle event for days and days built around this event. I'm not sure where I'm going with that. I pick, I'm picking up. What, well, what I think, down I, yeah, I think you're saying like from what it was. Other than Monaco, I don't think they would. You know, it was for the hardcore fans would go out and do the do the whole weekend, go there on a Thursday, leave on a Monday morning, and it was for the for the people who wanted to go and watch the races. And now it's like available uh, for most people. You know, other, you know, Vegas has the the costs as well, but. For most people, I think they're they're putting on more of a show. It's like the Super Bowl every race weekend is, I think, sort of what the what Liberty want. I think it's interesting as well that each circuit has to pay Formula One to host it, mm-hmm. so they need to make money from it. So the more that they can get people to go, you know, if you're going to spend money to go to one race a year, 
which race are you going to go to? And that's where the the circuit's going to make their money. If you can be the most fun circuit outside of the race, then you're going to attract the most amount of people. I think the US races now have an unfair advantage in that there are potential 300 million people in the US who could go to a race. And I think Austin benefits it hugely from from Drive to Survive with you know 400,000 people. I mean, um, Silverstone in England uh, has a huge number of people, but I don't think it's nearly that much. Um, but there are a lot of races in in Europe, which is less difficult to get to. But yeah, I think the races themselves have to try and distinguish themselves from each other, so that the the casual fan who are going to go to one race a year will will pick that over a different one. I also I also think that uh, for the cities um, that have these circuits, um, it's uh, it's also a choice, right? How much to uh, wrap your identity around the race. I mean, Monaco is a perfect example. Um, I think it's one of the things that defines uh, that city state. Um, I think if there wasn't a race, no one would really know what it was. Yeah, I mean, there are other kind of events that happen. They're much more niche. They're not as televised. Um, and I think also to places like Abu Dhabi, you know, that have re, uh, have really made their identity intertwined with Formula One. The that track, the Yas Marina, is insane now. Yeah. I've been to that hotel, just sitting over the track, and you know, the Ferrari World is built next to it. Like they've made their identity as a city, you know, yeah. uh, really interlinked, you know, linked closely to Formula One. So. I wonder, you know, uh, for many people, the exposure to some and of these Singapore as well, Singapore night race. It was the only night race at one point, and I think the Yas yeah. Marina circuit, last race of the season, is some most of the time a title decider, and it's the one of the, if not the only, dusk to night race as well, which is also very interesting for people, mm-hmm. uh, especially on TV because of the the way that the light reflects off the track means the drivers have to change the helmet strips so that's another really fun thing that people have to think about as it goes from uh tinted to clear singapore i think singapore is raining this last year so it wasn't uh wasn't much of a watch but singapore is another one of those where it's like i feel like that entire that entire thing is out of a video game Mm -hmm. Uh, and i feel like i've been even though i haven't been following f1 i've been i've been seeing those visuals um, since I was a kid yeah. because of how iconic the, those night streets are. Well, do you, I mean, I think to a lot of people, their only impressions of places like Bahrain, like Singapore is because of these formula one races. Uh, and yeah. the more people that get exposed to the sport through the show, the more those cities are going to benefit because, um, and I think it's not, it's, it's not, uh, out of accident that, um, many of these races are sponsored by airlines, especially ones that, um, kind of connect our act as connecting hubs emirates i think is the title sponsor for formula one in general but you know the race in bahrain you see gulf air you see qatar um in uh, in doha i think um sponsoring race so you know it's um it makes the destination out of these cities because of formula one yeah 100 percent um i want to take it back a little bit to Uh, fans who don't get to go to races. And I think since Liberty um, bought Formula One, and as we've talked about, they've put a lot of time and effort into getting the content out there through Drive to Survive. But also what I think they've done is release the digital rights, um, which I think traditionally, especially around sports properties where the 
you know, proliferation of clips gets clamped down very quickly. You know, like if you watch, if you try and watch the Premier League, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, when Twitter was still uh, in its nascent stages, a, a wonder goal goes in and everyone is retweeting and, and like pulling stuff down from broadcasts and they'd like try and kill that. You try and watch the Premier League now in, in the US, you can get replays up almost immediately on on Instagram and Twitter. So you can get extended 18-minute highlights almost an hour after the game. And I think this push into digital media, which was traditionally like seen as very much the a negative and a negative experience to uh, the 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 property, you know, Premier League or Formula One. Um, they're really, I think Liberty's really pushing for the teams to put out their own content, for Formula One itself to put out content. And Race Weekend is just, on Instagram, is just all, everything, all the time. And Formula One, especially that main account, has got up-to-date qualifying, up-to-date free practice. Free practice one ends and you get the results. You get the video, you get the clips. Like even today, they're still putting out stuff from from the race of Alonso's overtake on Hamilton. And that's like five slides of Instagram of the over the overtake. And this was unseen in the in the Bernie Eccleston era where he was like, TV rights, they pay us loads of money, give it to Sky Sports, give it to who else? Who's going to pay us the most money for TV? And this fragmentation of digital to traditional, um, I think, you know, has brought in Drive to Survive. But I would like to get your thoughts on how this sort of surround sound of content can draw in more fans. I think I heard this on a, on a football podcast over the weekend was like, you know, someone scores a, a you know, Reese Nelson scored in the last second of the game against Bournemouth to win. And apparently they were trying to pull down the content in the UK, but like that's the type of thing that happens and you get new fans into the sport because you see this incredible reaction. So like Liberty, I think in their, in their quest to get in all of the new, new fans, they'll put this out and they'll, they'll own it and put it out make sure it gets retweeted, gets reshared, make sure it gets as many eyeballs as possible. Cause that's how you get, you know, one amazing overtake could bring in, you know, a thousand, 10,000 new fans on online. Now suddenly you've got another set of eyeballs, another wallet that you can go pick for tickets, merch, etc. I th- I think that, probably what happens with most of these leagues is the same thing you see with traditional media in general. I was, I've watched more local news in the last several weeks than, than I have in the last several years because of the snowstorms here. And I'm real, I was realizing that a big snowstorm in Portland is like the Super Bowl for the local news, <laughs> local news team. Um, but, uh, are you, are you a Fox 12 was, or are you a coin six? I don't even I don't um, know. It's all Fox 12. I don't Mark feel Nelson. like a, uh, yeah, yeah, it's all Mark Nelson. <laughs> you, so, so you are not you are not an alien, a stranger to the the local news. But how how bizarre is it that the local news, the live broadcasts are not are not uh, also running on Instagram Live and Facebook Live and and on on all these uh, all these live streaming platforms? And I think obviously it's just these archaic traditional media companies that are like, well, we can't sell the ads there. And first of all, ab- you absolutely can. Second of all, you're not in the ads business; you're in the audience business. Because when you have audience, you can, you can uh, sell the ads. But I think that that is what Formula One was a victim of, uh, leading leading up to this. And and I think it it's also particularly well suited. Have you guys are you familiar with NBA TV? Mm-hmm. Not really. It's like the it's like the channel for NBA super fans. It's basically um, 
if I'm a super fan of the NBA, I get in NBA TV and I can see every single game, right? And the I'm calling this out though because I can see every game, but for any of the games that are like off markets, not not televised on TNT, there's like a bunch of cameras in the arena. It switches between the cameras intelligently. A lot of times there's not there's not broadcasters. There's nothing. Um, right. And contrast that with if I subscribe to Sky Sports because I'm an F1 fan, I can like I can watch the race from my favorite driver's car. Yeah. Like yeah. like the amount of options, the amount of media um, that you have right there in the event experience is completely unparalleled um, for any other league. And, and, and then it gets past the traditional stuff into social media and, and all that other stuff. So I, I think they're hitting it out of the park. And like I said, when we started, like the best, a, a absolute case study on content marketing, you know, it, that's all this is. This is super interesting. I, um, how you're contrasting this, um, the traditional sports with what you're seeing in F1. I, 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 I've been thinking a lot about how the user experience for NFL games, uh, has probably gone down the toilet because the season has basically gotten carved up between so many different platforms. And if you want to just watch a freaking game at, on any given night that the games are on, you have to figure out, like, is this game being streamed on Amazon Prime? Is this game being streamed on uh, something else? Do I go on Peacock? Do I watch it on TV? Do I need to get the YouTube? You know, do I need to migrate my DirecTV subscription over to YouTube? And I think Liberty is thinking, like you said, audience first. They have the rights and they're thinking, what is the best possible experience for the audience? Because if we provide that, then everything else is going to follow. Those leagues, they're not media companies, although they probably should think like media companies. And they're thinking about how can we extract the most dollars in the shortest term from um, from viewership? Uh, audience experience be damned. And uh, I, to me, that's that. There's a difference there in philosophies, in business models. I think I think it's a an interesting one that because the like the Premier League, for example, um, ran on Sky, and then the government said you can't just run it on one platform. People want uh, choice, and they were like, okay. So BT Sport came in, Amazon Prime came in, and I think there's one other one. And then you want to watch Champions League and then you want to watch Europa League. So it's all like you get choice, but you don't get real choice. You get choice of which streaming service do you want to watch for the games that they have. And that is not a not really a choice. What they've done is make people bid more money, you know, make the broadcasters bid more money to get more of the game so that they can go sell ads to those, those people. And I think what Liberty have done is try and put it all into one channel. And I think it's on ESPN, I think. Um, ESPN one through four, depending on what, what thing it is. Um, but it's just, it, it. they've done a really great job of making sure you can see all of it because what's the point in watching some of it? Like if you want to try and watch the NFL or Premier League, it's like, yeah, what, what subscription, how many of the subscriptions do I need to get in order to watch the games that I want to watch? You end up spending a, extortionate amount the nfl is just crap um it was just crap and now it's got i think and now it's about to get better i think because uh, i think they realized that they can't just do what they were doing this season they had nfl mobile nfl plus which you could watch any game 
um, from the season, no blackouts uh, on your devices. So you couldn't watch it on TV, but you could watch on devices. And they could only have a Sunday ticket on DirecTV, and you couldn't have it any other way. You could get most games through Sling, and if you bought both Sling packages, you could get most of the games from all the channels. But next season, they're going to do Sunday ticket on uh, YouTube TV, which I think is probably the smartest thing that they've done in a while. Um, and as a as a brand that basically is an entertainment company, for them to have taken this long to figure it out is remarkable because they have easily the biggest audience in the US. And the fact that they couldn't get to a point where they were maximizing their dollar revenue from other channels, other like, other like literal channels outside of DirecTV and um, uh, the different broadcasters is insane because they they do I think they do have a pretty good content series as well and most of the uh, teams have pretty good social content and they do all the behind the scenes because they have all the rights to that but like you know during games post game replays non-existent um, so for Liberty to be able to take something which I think is more it's more easy to control because it's one weekend and it's one race and it's one qualifying and it's one set of assets that they can then use to then do stuff. Whereas the other leagues are, you know, every game week is 18 games or something, 16 games, depending on the league you're right. in. And, and in the, and in those other leagues, you also have the local providers that are like in the mix in terms of like the rights and whatnot. So They've definitely got it simpler than anybody else, but they are just taking a consumer first approach. I think MLS, I think has done a good thing with Apple TV where I think they're consolidating everything. I think you'll still get local provider being able to show local games, but they're going to have every game, you know, like you said, every game coverage of every game, but they've also, if you go into it, I have a subscription. Um, It's the amount of content that they have is is amazing uh, you know this isn't available to everyone so i think there's still a step behind because they're still trying to protect the revenue and they think like giving it away for free on social is going to somehow stop people buying it I, it's insane to think that now in this in this day and age yeah. uh like really? giving like showing replays of stuff and doing highlights and not having people pay for it like having doing, doing it for free is ridiculous but no one's going to pay for that but the amount of content that they're producing uh, to support a league which in the U.S. is inferior to the to the big three, I think is is a way that they're going to other of the leagues are going to look at and be like we should probably do something similar. So let's let's maybe pivot to to the question of revenue uh, through sponsorship because I feel like that's the that's what everything uh, boils down to. Um, for, for, Formula One teams are basically just billboards on wheels. Uh, I, Ooh, yeah. I I found it hilarious. I was watching the um, the current season yesterday and uh, Lewis Hamilton sits down to introduce himself to the cameras and he's like, and I'm the driver <laughs> for the Mercedes-Benz. And he's like, well, that's not the name of the team, is it? What is it? And they're like, it's a Mercedes-AMG Patronus team. And he's like, oh yeah, I, I should probably know this by now. You know, that's how ridiculous it's gotten. Uh, but I mean, Red Bull like doesn't make cars except in this instance, right? Like, so when we think about Formula One, I think we all associate it with really, really, really prominent brand sponsorships. It's kind of these insane vehicles that are wrapped in just a ton of sponsor images, drivers who are wearing overalls that have um, 
that have uh, sponsors everywhere. Um, Alex, what has this uh, show done for Formula One teams in terms of increasing their um, sponsorship appeal? Uh, has it has it done anything? I I think it's it's done. A, I think it's done a couple things. I think it's introduced the Formula One to a bigger audience. Uh, more people now care about it, uh, which means that more brands see Formula One as a way to talk to their audience. Uh, I think Formula One traditionally had a strange, strange on the surface, but not strange if you think about it, of luxury brands and B2B. So like Workday is a sponsor of, of some of the teams. Um, yeah, Patronus, which I don't, you know, it's it's a big company that does something. It's not a consumer-facing brand. It's a, it's an, uh, it's a, it's a state, state-owned oil company, just like Aramco. Yeah. Yeah, Aramco. Patronus, Patronus is a great name, though. Like that, that the name Patronus. Without, I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any uh, pre- preconceived notions about it being a state-owned oil conglomerate. <laughs> um, so, but but without that, it's just that name is like, ugh, it's hard. Um, BWT is is a water filtration company. Has the only American sponsored team is like energy automation. Drink? Is it ha- Has isn't it? No. No, Hass is like a security automation company. Oh, well, I, I didn't know that. Can we uh, yeah. can we stop on Hass for a second since you just uh, mentioned this? That guy, Gunter Steiner, who, by the way, I always thought was German <laughs> and he's Italian. God. He's Italian? What? He's Italian. That's, Get out of here. Yeah, that's why he's uh, speaking in a fluent Italian to your you know brother from Italy. Um, he is constantly making deals with the absolute devil to get sponsorship rights because they suck as a team or they've sucked until recently. And his latest, like, I think they said it on the show on this uh, season, if something bad is going to happen in Formula One, it's going to happen to Gunter first. To save his company (laughs) from like ruin or from his, his team, he signed the deal in 2022 with, or 21 with uh, a Russian oligarch. And then the worst, yeah. and then the worst started, and then he had to like part ways uh-huh. with both the driver, uh, who is the son of that oligarch, and the and the headline sponsor for the team. So he's always dealing with like trying to find sponsors, some way to fund this. He's just a walking, <laughs> a walking sob story. I mean, I mean that that uh, is is quite a good point. Like the the pay to play drivers, um, you know. Uh, who was it? One the, of, the, Cana- um, the Canadian son, right? The guy who bought the, oh, the Force well, India team. The, he just bought the team yeah. and then put his sure. son as a driver. So, um, But turns out Lawrence Stroll knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah. He So Aston Martin had a partnership with Red Bull the season before. And then La- Lawrence Stroll basically did something behind the scenes and they dropped the Red Bull and became title uh, sponsors of... I think he bought no Lawrence Stroll bought a big stake in Aston Martin, made them the team name the for Aston Martin. Uh, yeah. Put his his kid, who apparently uh, is actually quite a good racer. Uh, I don't, you know, I think in order to race in Formula One, you got to be pretty good anyway. Um, but there are other drivers, that Russian guy who uh, didn't really race. No, is it? Yeah, uh, the one from. Alfa Romeo, I think, uh, and then you had uh, the Venezuelan guy who had who brought in thirty million dollars to 
Lotus at the time. So you have these like sponsorship is what 50% roughly of your overall revenue. The other 50% comes from um, the races, the prize money, uh, just being paid to participate. And I think another weird thing about Formula One is the being paid to participate. And you've got like Mercedes, uh, Williams and Ferrari. And I think there's another one who get a disproportionate amount of revenue from that because of their like legacy. If they left the sport to go do something else, they would lose a bunch of people. So it's another weird thing of Formula One. But sponsorship being an incredible part, I saw... Um, I think it was Mercedes. They've introduced e-ink into their cockpit sides. So the camera sort of sits on the head of the driver and you can see the halo. And underneath that, you can see the two sides of the cockpit. And they've introduced the you know Amazon Kindle style e-ink. So they can go from a Google Chrome logo to it saying Google Chrome on the side. You know, lightweight, doesn't require a lot of power, but you can change the messaging. So now you're going to start selling similar to digital billboards where you didn't have to sell, sell one thing for you know four weeks as our friends and uh, a friend of the show, Craig does. You don't have to sell like one billboard. You can sell one billboard eight times um, in rotation. So now you're going to see potential rotations of sponsors through the, through the car, um, which is, a, you know, I think going to be a very interesting thing as they bring that tech into, into it. While we're talking the libraries, um, somebody, have you guys noticed the Williams, uh, Williams cars air intake this season? I have not. All right, Google it. Google it right now. Uh, can you just can you describe uh, it? Is, it? Yeah. So uh, I think I, I put the I put the libraries in the bucket of like jersey sponsors and sports in general. Yeah. This has got to be like top five all time jersey sponsor execution. It is the air intake manifold which is right behind the driver is a duracell battery oh my and gosh it looks, like, it looks like this car just has a, ba- a duracell battery pack sitting right in in the top of it it is it's incredible Bro. and like every other car yeah. it just sla- has logos slapped on them and this thing just has a duracell battery pack in the back it is so good and i actually i tweeted about this and uh a guy a guy followed up uh, replied to my tweet and said uh, something to the tune of like most cars and the livery design is like built around a team color and Williams has always done their designs really uh, around the sponsors. Mm-hmm. And he sent me the 93 Williams car had a, uh, a Sega and I'm going to put this in the chat, had a Sega and uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And look at this, I'm putting it in the chat and then I'll describe it. Where'd the chat go? This just brings back. So much nostalgia, what he just said. Well, on on the I don't know. We're gonna post, but the 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 Williams um, and Martini was an iconic combo um, for the livery. (laughs) Is that excellent? So so there's this F1 car with it's got Sonic the Hedgehog's legs painted on the side of it where the driver's legs would be, Mm -hmm. like. Like, so it good. seems like they're the only ones like having fun with design on these Amazing. cars that are just like, like the the whole like their the whole thing is just a design exercise, and they're the only ones having fun with it. I think McLaren did a good job with the again uh, Gulf Oil sponsorship, where they changed their livery to be 
it's almost like McLaren papaya, but they have the orange, but they also have this like pale blue, um, which looks incredible, uh, but also golf oil. So not great, but looks incredible. <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, there are, there are some teams that really do embrace uh, the, the sponsors. And I think when it makes sense, um, especially when you can have fun with it, it makes it more memorable. I think, yeah, it, it works really well. But dude, I mean, th- think about this. The most successful team in the 90s was the Ferrari team under Schumacher, right? Um, Late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. Do you remember? Uh, Ferrari was Marlboro and Marlboro was Ferrari. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember right? that. Like right. that br- right. The Marlboro brand was just, I, I feel like, was so closely associated with that sport. Um, because they were just omnipresent. I don't. I don't they, know that they anyone still are with uh, Mission Winnow. That's the that's the Marlboro uh, parent company, I think, and they still sponsor uh, Ferrari. Still give them a whole bunch of money. Yeah, but I mean, come on, that's clearly not not as impactful. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of, uh, so I think uh, kind of going back to the fundamentals. So like. The sport traditionally has its roots in um, very affluent kind of fan base. As the sponsor, as the sport is uh, is diversifying its fan base, as more people are becoming fans because of this show, um, we're probably going to see more logos appearing, more sponsors vying to be a, a part of the mix, and uh, we're not just going to see the work days of the world or the Petronas or the you know oil companies. We're probably going to see some consumer-facing businesses as well. Um, interestingly for me, uh, are fates of these, of some sponsors who have plunked down a ton of money to be on these cars and associated with the drivers and then have gone into either bankruptcy or into serious crisis mode. And the one from this year is FTX. They signed a very high profile agreement with, um, Mercedes AMG Petronas, blah, 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 Formula One, Lewis Hamilton team and are now the poster child for like the 21st century Enron. So how do these teams distance themselves? Because I am watching the season right now. FTX is everywhere. I was actually at the airport the other other week and some guy was standing wearing the Mercedes um, team hat and equally big was the FTX logo on that Mercedes cap, you know? So what, what, what do you do? rough <laughs> you just rough. think about all the money you got from them and that 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 that, right. that puts well, how to- much money did you get from them like they dropped what one year into a three-year deal where they're probably going to pay you a whole bunch of many 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 millions it's like you've lost a you've lost a title sponsor and now you have to go find another one where you don't do that you know a year into a deal so yeah, yeah sucks for them do better due diligence I mean, they suspend. Yeah, sure. They suspend. They suspended the sponsorship, but it's, um, you know, I'm sure it came. It was a bitter, a bitter thing to swallow. I like. I feel like there's so many, there's so many other teams that got stuck with that. Uh, what was the arena? Crypto.com. Yeah. No, but there was an FTX arena. Yeah, the Miami Heat arena. Yeah. The Heat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the stuff like that is a little bit unprecedented and it's i think it's kind of what you're signing up for when you get in bed with anybody and to alex's point on a three-year deal i bet they were like a payment or two into it yeah i bet i bet they got that stain 
uh, without collecting very much money at all, relatively speaking. Um, which is too bad. I was reading up about this, and I think because they're three-year deals or even five-year deals sometimes, they, um, especially in current climates where, you know, we recession looming, interest rates go up, etc. Formula One is the one that's going to get hit. The, like It lags behind because of the deals and companies don't want to pay any break clauses. So they have to continue paying the sponsorships. But when they end, you know, they renegotiate at a lower rate. But then Formula One is again one of those to be the last out of a, a, of a recession period because they get locked into these lower deals for three years. So they lag behind. And then when they come out of it, they renegotiate back up again. So it's it's not something that they do every day. And I think similar to shirt sponsorships, it's a huge source of revenue for them. They don't want to get it wrong. And then when they do get it wrong, like, you know, if you're in their cycle and, uh, you know, like Tag, for example, sponsored McLaren for a while, and then they now sponsor Red Bull, um, you know, that is a, you know, you don't want to lose sponsorships like that. Uh, you don't want to, get into bed with someone who then doesn't pay you because all the other good sponsorships are now paying that money to someone else. How do you guys think about the decision of Red Bull to uh, turn its um, feeder team, um, AlphaTauri, into a clothing brand? <laughs> is, is that truly... Yeah. I, I remember last season seeing the AlphaTauri.fashion on the... Uh, uh, on the cockpit camera, is that yeah. literally what? That's they did? what they did. Yeah, Alphatari is a fashion oh, brand with a Formula One team, and they advertise pretty heavily in all your kind of regular fashion magazines, which you know blows my mind that they decided to go full tilt into into that. And that is the spon- They are the sponsor of the of their own selves. I don't understand it, to be honest. I really don't. I don't get it. I don't. I don't know why. You're not going to get AlphaTauri as a brand name into fashion from Formula One. You may go the other way, but you're not going to get people who don't know AlphaTauri are not going to buy AlphaTauri stuff because it, of the name. I don't understand it at all. Maybe they just wanted it to not sound like Toro Rosso so people knew who Red Bull were more cleanly. But yeah, it makes no sense to me. So your Yuki Tsunoda is not your uh, is not your sort of fashion kind of icon. No, that wouldn't that I wouldn't have been realize... my strategic direction. I didn't realize that's what's going on here. Yeah, it's kind of like I'm not sure that it's good, but it's a little bit genius at least. Like, I, like who thought of that and who approved it? Well, the the brand um, the brand that was making energy drinks who decided to go full in on Formula <laughs> One. But that that's yeah. more understandable though, because they were lunatic brand anyway, and they were sponsor whatever. They you know they put the guy up in the balloon and he jumped out. They were doing, you know, they're a, yeah, that's their whole model. They're a media they company the that makes that yeah. makes energy drinks, and this was just an extension yeah. of that. And they managed to pay enough money to get the right people in to to run the team. So I think Christian Horner was he was either not working or he was running another team because he was like 33 at the time when he got made team principal of of Red Bull. And he was not a nobody, but he wasn't a well-established Formula One team principal as he is now. And at, when it first came out, there was they were they were at the bottom. They were crap. 
and David Coulthard, who was a aging, excellent racer, 13 race wins. Um, but he, he was sort of the face of it. And then they actually made a good car. And in the 2009 to 13, they, they, they won because they had tools and tech that was Adrian Newey, you know, loopholes in the rules with a double diffuser before everyone else figured it out. It was 2010, 10 to 13, four years. 2009, it was Braun, Braun GP. That's a great one. Braun GP was Honda. And then Ross Braun, ex-team principal of Ferrari, bought the team. They had no sponsors. It was called Braun GP. He basically put his own money into it. Uh, They had an amazing car. They won. Jensen Button won. I think they won the the Constructors title as well. Halfway through the season, Virgin um, of Richard Branson fame uh, became the nose sponsor. And they had the, the the car was white with green green lines on it. No other sponsors. It's incredible. Like one of the only cars I've ever seen to ride with no sponsors. Um, which then became a legal battle with Virgin, who tried to buy it, and then Mercedes bought it, and that's where the Mercedes team came from. Really? Yeah. All these teams have have crazy stories like that. Braun GP. The one guy put up the money. I think I mean I think like, he may have had some backers, but it was basically Ross Braun with no sponsors. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm looking. I, I just googled this this car, and it, it really is. If you haven't read his book, I read his book. It is it's a it's a brilliant story of of his career, but also uh, what's it called? Total competition, uh, but also like a leadership book as well. It's it's brilliant. And he talks about how you know, he's now the he's, he he works at Liberty. He's like he's not he's something something to do high up with sort of strategy for Formula One and the direction it takes now because he was yeah he 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 was great. I feel like the field of Formula One is also like littered with corpses of aspirational teams that have come <laughs> yeah. in thought they could do something and just completely I mean, flamed out. Force India is a great yes. story, right? Like yeah. You've all seen that that episode of Drive to Survive. Yeah. Um, I wonder what what that dude's doing these days. I think he's uh, in jail. Yeah, that's what he's doing. <laughs> he's he's uh, he's not doing much. He's in jail. He's not doing not doing a lot. But that so, was another great one. Uh, sorry, just real quick. Of uh, the guy, he owned the team. He also owned Kingfisher the beer. Yeah. And then so he put his logo, his Kingfisher brand, sponsored Force India, uh, and then they had the their logo everywhere. And I think it was actually. Was it was it Kingfisher Force India like they were title sponsor or something? So it's like so much of the uh, of Formula One becomes a vehicle to tell a story for another brand. Um, and I think if we're going to go full circle right back to the beginning of Liberty Media promoting the sport as a whole, bringing in more fans so that they can earn more money from uh, from media, and then the teams can get more people watching it so they can earn more money from sponsorships because then they have more audiences who are going to to watch them the audience becomes more diverse through the amount of uh channels that they get put out on so it's not just going to be c-suite execs who hobnob around races uh so it's not just going to be rolex and louis vuitton and hublot and workday and salesforce sponsoring you're going to have a entry of a whole bunch of of new sponsors who can you know find small pockets of the car or maybe they're going to put up their own cash because suddenly you know you've got a you know 
even like a Walmart could afford to sponsor a, a Formula One car, um, but it, they're not going to right now. Or they well, were probably, pro- pro- probably not afford. I would say justify. They can buy Formula One. <laughs> they could yeah. buy Formula One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they could they could buy the sponsorship of something, but they weren't going to because that's not what the target audience were. But now suddenly, especially in the U.S., where you have the biggest media budgets in the world you know liberty are trying to tap into that because as soon as you can get like cox cable to spend you know 200 million dollars well i don't know what their media budgets are 600 million dollars i don't know 30 million dollars in a sponsorship total sponsorship for a formula one car if you've got a lot of your target audience there that's 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 peanuts to them well i'll just disappoint you for a second walmart oh, okay. is a is a sponsor of uh the red bull uh team since 2021 get out of here Sponsoring um, what? Yeah, I mean, Google it. It's um, it's right by the cockpit. Uh, guys, uh, to, uh, to 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 sort of wrap it up, uh, I'm I'm thinking about like what's next for um, for this uh, Formula One um, content kind of integration uh, play. But um, he is this, as well. It's um, you know, Drive to Survive is now in its fifth season. Um, I'm I'm finding sort of a thing. Uh, a theme with how they go out with these seasons, what what sort of things they do. Are, is this peak interest? Is, um, you know, does Formula One have to think beyond uh, what they're getting through this show uh, to continue to drive additional exposure and interest? Is this going to be a short-term thing or do you think this is going to be a long-term kind of growth of interest and, um, and fandom um, in markets that have traditionally not really cared as much like the U.S.? How do you, how do you respond I to that? Do- I do not think it is the peak, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, Europe and the rest of the world has established that no, like people, people are into this and they're in, into it for the long haul. But um, something we haven't really touched on is motorsports are huge in the United States, right? Um, and the United States is just now discovering Formula One because all of the motorsports that are popular here are are popular like in lower income and blue collar. That, that's an interesting dichotomy. I don't understand why that's happened, right? In Europe, it is a sport of the elite. Um, uh, F1 is, at least racing in general. And here, it is very blue-collar, very low income um, or lower income, I guess, mm-hmm. even though the sports themselves obviously take a lot of, of money. But um, I think it's at its infancy in the United States and not that the rest of the world uh, doesn't have a huge impact there, but I think the United States is the the uh is the top for you can't really be a global sports without a global sport without the united states like fully adopting um uh uh, fandom and i think we're just at the tip of the iceberg and you have this massive population here of motorsports people and fans um that have just never turned their eyes to f1 because demographically it's been different so as you have the celebrities and the more affluent people coming over I think there's just there's there's an army waiting behind them of people that are already watching racing every weekend, so on and so forth. Let, and I think it's only up let there. me actually because because this we didn't actually touch on this, but Cadillac and Mario Andretti, uh, they have been trying for the last year or so to get a team into Formula One, and there's been just a huge amount of controversy. Uh, so there is not really an American um, car manufacturer on the grid. And there's not really a, a prominent American driver, uh, I believe, on the grid Sergeant, either. year one this year. Sergeant now. Yeah. yeah. 
So can the sport be truly um, popular in this country without kind of a, a local champion uh, in, a, in, in the form of a Cadillac, in the form of someone like Amario Andretti being the team principal? Um, and, and, and I mean, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, Haas is in there right now, and it's still yeah. But come on, Haas, is much, not a, so like, Haas doesn't make cars yeah. for the for a living. No, but yeah, and the guy Red doesn't make cars the, for a living either. Yeah, but Mercedes yeah. does, Ferrari does. Obviously, you know, the Red Bull is an out, is an outlier in this. I think Haas is like this this software automation brand, right? So it's like, yeah, it's technically an American brand, but like nobody knows what the fuck Haas is, right? Right. That's fact. So, so. I, th- I think Cadillac and and yeah, you did. How bizarre is that? Um, Cadillac and and Andretti would definitely definitely make a statement and get people's attention here. I don't think it's required. Um, I definitely don't think it's required. You know the the interesting thing with this controversy is the reason teams are resisting is because they are going to see their uh, share of the profits diminish if another entrant comes in. And so they're essentially arguing that Cadillac and that um, and and the Andretti group uh, pay them off. So there's there's ten teams. Are they trying to be an eleventh mm-hmm. team? Basically, yeah. does that many cars fit on the track? Um, I think they I think they can. Um, I mean, uh, the other way. So basically, is, they need to buy somebody. Yeah, that's what that's what it Audi is like, trying to do. They're they're basically going to take over. Alfa Romeo in they bought a 25% stake and they're going to take over because the Salba uh, deal runs out soon. Alex, what's but the I think, thing? sorry, what? I think, yeah, to your point, I think you do need a, a U.S. manufacturer to create some kind of affinity with the sport or at least with one of the teams, because even though Haas, which I found out just now that it was sponsored by rich energy and it was called Haas Rich oh, Energy. So that's I why that. I thought it was energy drink. So the, the advertising did work. Uh, but I think if you had a Ford GM um, a manufacturer, you would have a lot of the US, even if this, it, as their first port of call would be, what's the US manufacturer? And I think that is a, uh, I think that is a big draw. And I think one of the, one of them will, do it eventually, especially yeah. Liberty, because they're a U.S. company. Yeah, I mean, I feel I, I feel like uh, watching Italians go crazy for Ferrari, uh, watching um, obviously Brits go crazy for Lewis Hamilton and um, George, what's his name? Russell. Russell. Uh, there has to be either a local a local car manufacturer or lo- like local drivers, American drivers prominent American drivers who are winning uh, for there to be sustained interest because this country loves sports, but it loves winners. Um, and I think um, at some point to get beyond the hype that's been created by um, by this show and um, you know the fandom that will be generated by the existing teams and drivers who are not from here, you are going to have to see local kind of lo- a local presence emerge and, and that will drive continuous interest. Um, I, I can see this show running for another couple of seasons, honestly, and then not getting renewed. I don't think this is going to be one of these. Um, or maybe it gets renewed, but, but not by Netflix, but gets kind of picked up by secondary um, kind of platforms. 
um, because it's going to lose its initial appeal. You know, I think the stories start to repeat themselves. The tracks don't change that much. And so unless there is something crazy that happens and they innovate some more on this front, this format has maybe a five, six, seven year shelf life um, beyond which it's just going to become, um, you know, old. So they've done an incredible job, but I think they need to continue to think about how to reach the audience, especially one that um, is consuming content, not in long form, not through paid subscriptions, but on TikTok, on, you know, Instagram stories, et cetera, et cetera. All right, guys. Well, thank you. This was an interesting dive into the world of Formula One. Um, Content marketing, uh, sponsorship marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Colin, thanks for joining us. Um, it was fun to see, uh, to, to hear your perspective. Uh, I'm excited to pour in myself a little bit more whiskey and go and watch the next episode on Netflix while <laughs> this, uh, this, my computer processes this uh, recording. And uh, Alex, um, good to uh, good to do this again with you, buddy. Good to see you. All right, good gentlemen. See you guys. Thanks very much. Yeah.